0: Hey friends, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I am Nyka Spaulding and y'all, we did it. We are at the end of Amos. And so we are going to read Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15, the last few verses of Amos. So Amos chapter 9, 11 through 15. Let's jump right in. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given to them, says the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, If you were to take these few verses, I was like, listen, guys, I know we've been hanging out with Amos for a while kind of know what he's like. He has a little bit of a tone thing. He's a little bit of a donor. And I were to read these verses to you and say, what book is this from? You you may not guess Amos. It is clearly drastically different than the rest of the book. But that is an often seen pattern in the book of prophets that uh, God, we've talked about there's you know the past, God's resume, the present, the accusation judgment. Uh, you know, oracle things, the day of the Lord, these cosmic days of destruction and God's judgment being poured out on iniquity. And then there's these future passages. In that day, I'll restore you. In that day, um, good things will happen. There's a day coming that we're all looking forward to, the the deal is though in Amos he just doesn't use a ton of the future so some books use it a little bit more they spurse it in and out you know they kind of punch you in the face sock and bop you and then they're like oh but hey don't worry a day's coming and so oftentimes you'll see the future interweaved more frequently. In some of these books, but Amos is like, nah, uh, I'm just going to put you in the corner of the ring. And I'm going to body shot, body shot, body shot, uppercut, uppercut, jab, 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 uppercut, boom. And then you hit the mat and you're bleeding out and he gets down on his knee and he's like, hey, in that day, it's all going to be good. And so what are we to make of this? Well, one, from a technical sense. Amos is uh, connecting this book to other books of the prophets, and we've seen this, that they often are talking to each other. And so the book of Obadiah addresses the Edomites, and there's this connection between when he talks about the, the remnant of Edom and there's a connection to Obadiah, and then there's a connection to the book of Jeremiah. And so from a technical sense, Amos is being weaved in to the other books of prophecy. But the question becomes, if you were receiving this, letter, and you would be deeply encouraged by this because most likely you, you know, post 722, Assyria has come in into the north, taking out the northern kingdom. You are reaping the sour fruit of what you have sowed, those bad seeds that you have sowed, and you are now reaping that. And so there is this message of hope. And what's really interesting is if you read the Old Testament in the chronological order that um, most Jewish folks read it, or, or the book sort of was given to us, then you really end on Uh, the temple has been rebuilt. Um, the people have, have come back out of captivity, not necessarily the northern kingdom, uh, because they, they are scattered for the, for once it's gone, it's gone. The southern kingdom is taken off by Babylon. There is a return under the Medes and Persian rulers, and they're, they're brought back in. They restore the temple. They, they do the sacrifices, and then they don't have, the same presence of the Lord that they had that they had enjoyed prior to being taken out by the you know the Northern Kingdom being taken out seven twenty two and five eighty six the Southern Kingdom being taken out and the Old Testament really ends on this like wah, wah, wah. so if you're in if you're living let's say you're living in in Jerusalem and you're living at like four BC three BC somewhere in that area. And you've read the book of Amos, you've read the books, or you've heard about them, you've heard them taught, right? You've you've gone to the the temple or you've gone to synagogue and you've heard these things taught. And they keep saying, In that day, I'll rebuild the house of David. In that day, the nations weird are gonna be with the Israelites. In that day, the wine will flow like honey. You're wondering when is that day gonna come? And what's really sweet about it is that day comes in, in the form of Jesus Christ being born and coming to this earth, that Jesus Christ is the repaired breach and the ruins of David. That the house of David, the lineage of David, that God promises in Second Samuel seven, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's why we have those lineages that run from. Especially in the book of Matthew, we see that G, that David is running through Abraham. He's running through David. We know that he's running through these lineages on purpose because he is the fulfillment. He is the son of Judah we've been waiting on. He is the son of David that we've been waiting on the breaches have been restored and what's wild about it as we see in Jesus's ministry there is this over an abundant emphasis on the restoration of Israel right so we see these moments when Jesus interacts with Gentiles um, I think about the Syrophoenician woman when when her daughter's not well and she asked for Jesus to heal him heal her excuse me and and Jesus is like hey this is um, the food is for the children not for the dogs and she's like, well, even the dogs eat the scraps, Jesus. And he's like, man, wow. Behold your faith. Your daughter is well. And so there's this emphasis on the nation of Israel being restored. And which is why I believe that Jesus has 12 disciples. Those are representatives of the 12 nations of Israel. These nations that needed to be, the 12 tribes of Israel, that need to be brought back together, that need to be restored. I believe the 12 disciples are an embodiment of that. That Jesus is bringing them back. He's bringing them to Jerusalem. That He is rebuilding what was lost in their iniquity. And what's really sweet is you see at the end of Jesus' ministry, of course, he is, he is over and abundantly spent time with his Jewish family. He gives the great commission to his believers. He ascends on high. And then they go and they are waiting on the day of Pentecost. And then the spirit comes, Pentecost happens, pff, thousands of believers, but overwhelmingly, it's still a very Jewish movement. And then suddenly, these really interesting things start happening in the book of Acts where suddenly, um, you know, the, Philip is taken to a, an Ethiopian eunuch and he shares the gospel there. And then and then Peter is told, Peter, go and share the gospel with Cornelius. And, and so then the gospel goes to these Gentiles. And then suddenly all these Jewish leaders come together in this council of Jerusalem. We find this in Acts 15 and they're like, hey, uh, there's this interesting thing happening. These Gentiles are straight up believing in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. What are we going to do about that? And you know what's really cool is if you look in Acts chapter 15, one of the passages to support the inclusion of Gentiles in the church is this passage from Amos, that that the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord that they will be rebuilt as well. That's a misunderstanding of the scriptures to think that Gentiles were plan B after Jesus came. he came only to save the Jews. And then when the Jews rejected him, he was like, all right, go get the blondes and the redheads and the non-Jews and go get the Gentiles and we'll let them in. And then we'll return to plan A later. Like, no, no. Which brings us back to this understanding of mission all along. When God created humanity and put us in the garden to make us rulers and to have dominion, And to have this capacity to be like God. Certainly there is a giant chasm between creator and creation. But when God set us in the garden, he made us to rule and have dominion and to do things like he does. And of course that broke in Genesis 3. But after that, God continued to partner with humanity. With humanity to bring about the mission into the world. And humanity stunk at it, y'all. We are the worst co-pilots in the world when it comes to partnering with God in mission. So what does God do? Does he give up on us? Does he fire us? Does Does Amos end in, cha- in verse 10 of chapter 9? All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us? the end. Bye-bye, I told y'all to to act right, I told y'all to do right, is that where the story ends? No, no, he, he asks us to partner with him in mission, and we're terrible at it, so what does he do? He comes to us, he comes to us and he saves us, and he gathers us in like a, like a mother hen who desires to do that, and he allows us to replant seeds, and so abundantly is the kingdom of God, that it talks about the plowman shall overtake the reapers, to say you are, you normally when you're a farmer, you've got seasons that you do things, so you've got seasons that you, that you sow, and then you have seasons that you reap, and that you wait, you're patient, you're waiting, and so abundant is the kingdom of God, that before you finish sowing, you're already reaping, so abundant is the kingdom of God, that wine flows from the hills. And not just bad wine, the good wine. And frankly, I'm kind of thankful it's sweet wine. I don't understand how y'all drink bitter wine. I mean, to each his own. Tannins are your friend, I suppose. But y'all, seriously, if you could just make wine taste like Kool-Aid, we would be getting along just better on Wine Wednesday. But that being said, you see this stark contrast of what it means to be in the kingdom of God. When left to our own devices, what do we do? We get our bowls of wine, like Amos said, right? And we do that by forsaking the poor and pushing down the righteous. And what God has taught us all along is there's no scarcity in his kingdom. <laughs> we, don't to, we don't have to oppress people so we can have a good glass of wine because we know in the kingdom of God there is no scarcity. His love overflows, his grace overflows, his mercy overflows, his justice overflows, his goodness overflows. It's overflowing like the wine from the hills. And unless y'all think this is entirely a metaphorical thing, I believe in the same way that God creates the world and food and everything in it in Genesis 1 and 2, I believe that we're heading back into that world. I, I think that we will literally eat and drink, pick fruit from trees, Taste delicious berries, and none of it will be genetically modified. None of it. And so what's our so what? I, this is such a beautiful part of the book of Amos, and what you see here is, if, if you're not careful, you can see the heavy handedness of the justice here. But take the whole book of Amos. Take the whole book of Amos, including these last few verses, which are so critical to the understanding of the whole book, and what you see is the relationship between God's justice and his mercy. We see this exchange that God must confront evil. He must confront it because he's good and he's just and he's right. But in doing so, his long-term purposes are for restoration. Restoration. God must confront evil. But in doing so, he's got his eyes forward with the hope of repentance and restoration and a new family that includes Israelites and Gentiles. A multi-ethnic, beautiful, new kingdom family that is united by the blood of Christ, the power of the Spirit, and the love of the Father. We get a new family. We get restored to our land. We have our king sitting on the throne. We don't have to worry about ruin. We don't have to worry about scarcity. We don't have to worry about famine. We don't have to worry about greed or jealousy or any of those things when the final kingdom comes. And so, what does Jesus teach us to do in the meantime? He came. And he enacted his kingdom, and he showed us what it looked like to be members of the kingdom of God, and he left his word so that we can study it. And he and God sent his spirit to dwell among us to teach us what it means to be the people of God. And so it looks a little bit like this Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, 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 and ever. Or so what is this? Is that day that the Israelites were waiting on and? The first part of Jesus' coming has come. His kingdom has been inaugurated. Now we're waiting for that second part when he returns. But in the meantime, we are to be about the work of the king in his kingdom. What is the work of the king? Look at what the king did through history. He went after the lost, he cared for the poor care for the widow the orphan the downtrodden he sought to eradicate evil and to bring about good he valued righteousness and justice he kept his eyes on those who needed someone near what does it mean to be in the kingdom with a king on the throne we do those things with our eyes looking back at what god has already done and our eyes looking forward as we run ahead to the race in front of us knowing that our best days are ahead of us and in the meantime, we fight like hell against injustice, we push back against evil forces, we care about righteousness, we seek justice. Or as Amos's good friend Micah, I don't know if they're friends, I just assume they were homies, would say, seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Love you guys, if nobody's told you that they love you, I do, but more importantly, God's crazy about you. Peace.